to the Bucket Problem, episode 31. I am your host, A. Sandbender, and as always, we are presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet. We are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We have an extra loaded show today. Not only are all three of my regular co-hosts here, here today, we are going to have uh, Northwestern Internetsman Ben Gorin join us later to uh, look ahead to um, what is probably tonight's game. When you're listening to this, we are recording on Tuesday night and uh, or Tuesday evening and dropping this uh, not too long before a rather oddly timed 630 Eastern tip off against Northwestern for this uh, Titanic Wednesday showdown. Uh, we'll also be looking ahead to the Michigan State game. And before all that, we are going to discuss um, our preseason roster draft, which uh, went great. Right, Connor and Dan? Yeah, I think I think personally that. There's a lot of nuance here, um, and I don't think we should just <laughs> out of hand declare a winner. I think, like, look, we got to let the games be played. Um, I think if, if this if this season has told uh, any told us anything, it's that you have to let the games be played. Um, and the the college football playoff committee, in this case, being ace, should not just decide that one team's better than the other, which is a uh, take that I've had for a long time, um, and I've been pretty consistent with. What Dan was saying is that is that despite the like unanimity on Twitter and elsewhere that my roster was better, he's saying he would have won, and I can respect that that mindset. Uh, Dan Valari <laughs> would have won is Dan's position here. Yeah, I, th- that position I actually have held for a long time. Um, <laughs> and I, Connor, I don't know if you'd know uh, who who won or didn't win on Twitter, unless you're willing to admit uh, to everyone on the podcast what your burner Twitter account is, <laughs> um, which seems like you're probably not. Calling so. him out. Looks, looks Everyone like knows my burner is called Graham Couch, dude. That's been known for a while. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's let's not bring in. I mean, you know, you, you swearing off Twitter means that you can't use it as evidence in your argument. So, I, I think honestly, you should be flattered that like I log on to Twitter surreptitiously to read your tweets of all things. I mean, is there any higher compliment I could possibly give you, Dan? I, I guess not. I guess not. Thank you, Connor. But I'm not. I'm don't, don't don't try to butter me up for. I'm I'm not going quietly into the night for this for this argument. Yeah, it didn't work. Oh well. I mean, should we like? I don't know if we have to go through every player, but like, um, I don't know how we should do this because like I could just recite the guys that. Well, well first we got to do our big boots. Wrong, but, so let's not. Oh, we have moves first. Yeah, let's do much. that. I did this last week. I skipped my yeah. own big Con- Connor was so. so he was so juiced up to talk about how he was right. He's like, oh boy, is it time to talk about me? Yeah. Connor, we, we got a whole 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 segment to do, buddy. There's even an ad read in the middle. Calm down. <laughs> hey, as Barry Lyndon once said, let those laugh that win, Dan. Yeah, I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to kick it right back to um, our king of references, uh, Connor. And uh, you can discuss kind of the uh, period of the year that we're in right now, at least from one perspective. So I'm a football guy. Um, the rest of this pod, understandably, is very excited for Michigan to make, I hope, um, even though I'm not a huge Michigan Hoops fan, what I hope will be an inspiring run to the tournament. And like, that's what you guys are focusing on. I get that. But if you're a football guy like I am, um, we're about to like, once Michigan clears up their coaching situation, which I hope will be soon, <laughs> I've been saying that for a while. Um, and once signing day happens, uh, you know, we're going to hit like a six month period of mostly silence and most football news will be like 
meaningless tidbits and tea leaf reading and just wild speculation. So, you know, it's going to be the, the depths of the football offseason soon. And last, last year, that was a really dark period for Michigan for obvious reasons, namely that the team had been terrible in 2020. And, you know, we had a lot of like kind of agitated arguments about things. And there was no. a lot of just, no, no, of course not. We never are. We never disagreed just about anything. Spirited. Spirited. Yeah. There was just a lot going on. And most of it was bad um, that offseason. But, I, you know, I think that Michigan football is in a very good place right now. I think that's a pretty widely shared opinion. I, I'm, I'm hopeful about next season. I won't make predictions yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But as we enter the six months of, you know, basically, um, you know, the, the doldrums of the football offseason, I have to say it's pretty nice to know that as of this podcast recording, it has been 787 days since Michigan lost a football game to Ohio State. I want everyone to relish that. So, Connor, you say that you're a football guy, but I actually had a quick question for you. What do you think of Coach K's uh, retirement <laughs> farewell tour and the Duke Blue Devils looking like a national title contender? Is Paolo Bancaro the number one pick in the draft, Connor? Yeah, is, is Paolo coming to Detroit? Are we going to get Adrian Griffin? Like, yeah, how is, uh, how is Duke doing? You know, I... I don't want to derail this Michigan sports podcast. With, uh, yeah, I'm going to use my veto, uh, but, I, but I do reserve for every show on at least one topic, and I'm choosing this one. I think everyone can agree. We're not talking. This is this is a lot. I would look. I've got a whole list of other topics we're going to be talking about before we get get to Duke basketball. Uh, I just I'm had to remind to everyone that Connor is a Michigan football slash Duke basketball fan. Yeah, and a Cowboys why they uh, NFL me. fan. Yeah, yeah, he loves LeBron and the Lakers. Me, yeah. um, <laughs> Connor, Tom Brady's my favorite football player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just just briefly, Alex, I, I agree with that. I don't want to go into depth on this for, for somewhat different reasons. But Duke <laughs> always has a January swoon. So for them to do it again is like actually a pretty fitting send off for Coach K. That's all I'm going to say. Beautiful. Um Dan, you also have a very uh, off-season mood, uh, which is some rather shocking breaking news that I did not realize was happening until I looked at your entry on the show notes. So uh, this is an interesting turn for the Big Ten, possibly. (laughs) Yeah, so I was going to talk about basketball, but then something much funnier came up. Um, And that is uh, Caleb Williams, uh, freshman, um, five-star Oklahoma quarterback, uh, he's going to be a sophomore this upcoming year. Um, but uh, quarterback who took over for Spencer Rattler when Spencer Rattler started struggling, um, came back, led that epic comeback against Texas, um, and overall was uh, very promising but extremely, extremely erratic. I mean, made some I, – I would compare him somewhat to like uh, Kyler Murray a little bit, like with worse decision-making. But, you know, he's a freshman, so that can be, you know, uh, understood – but like point being like electric runner, um, really good arm talent, uh, maybe a little bit short, but like overall made some really incredible plays, but also some, some mind boggling, you know, uh, bad decisions um, is apparently uh, momentum seems to be building for him to be transferring to Wisconsin. Um, that is the Wisconsin Badgers of the big 10 West. Um, and I just am like, I think the, it's going to be so interesting um, and so, so funny. I couldn't imagine a worse fit of an offense for someone that is like a, a, a hyper scrambling quarterback um, that 
really likes to throw it deep and like make explosive plays than Wisconsin's current offense. Um, and I know like Russell Wilson was a similar ish quarterback, but really uh, that was also, that was even like a more wide open Wisconsin offense than what Paul Christ is currently running. Um, so I think it's really interesting uh, like on an, from an honest perspective in terms of like, it, this seems to, you have to imagine that they're thinking about modernizing their offense a little bit. If, uh, if they're bringing in someone like Caleb Williams um, otherwise, it's going to be hilarious. Um, but I don't know. It's it's very, very interesting, and I just generally wanted to get people's takes on it. Dan, are you legitimately too young to remember when Wisconsin had Russell Wilson as quarterback? You mentioned no, that. No, I can remember when he had. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I had Russell Wilson. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was uh, yeah, I remember. That's kind of funny because that was, like, one of the first ever, like, Im- super high-impact transfers, if I remember. Like, that was before transferring was a really big thing. Yeah, and it's interesting, the story with how he, like – had to leave NC state, but I, it's a good pickup for Wisconsin. I do think it's interesting because Williams was talking about finding the place that could best set him up for a future career in the NFL. And to think that he might pick Wisconsin, given that criteria is um, definitely interesting to me. Uh, He has made the big uh, 10 West a lot spicier. I think if he does decide to transfer there. Um, and I wish that uh, Spencer Rattler would have picked Iowa instead <laughs> of South Carolina. Um, although a Wisconsin versus South Carolina Outback Bowl would be pretty hilarious. Spencer Rattler, for his sake, should not pick Iowa. <laughs> like that, he yeah, should the not funniest. Have that. that would have been the funniest the- possible transfer. <laughs> That's the one thing Dan was wrong about is exactly that is that the only funnier offense to pick would have been Iowa where they pat like half their passes are like one yard. <laughs> if Caleb Williams were going to Iowa, that would be like immensely entertaining. I think one cool thing here is that like there's a chance this makes Wisconsin better, maybe even a lot better on offense, and we do not have to play them next year. So that's good news. Um, yeah, definitely good news. Uh, well, we will play them in the, the big yeah. T- yeah. They're yeah, making right. well, the okay, same okay, way. Yeah. If we make it that far. Um, I, what, one final thing I will say is like, I, what I find most baffling about this is like Wisconsin's obviously a good program, if not quite like a national title contender program, but like they've had like, they had one good receiver in the last 10 years, uh, Quintez Cephas. I don't know. Like if you, if you're truly like, if you're a quarterback of Caleb Williams, stature, you should be, you should be hunting down good receivers. I maybe don't get maybe he all. wants to up the degree of difficulty to impress the scouts, you know? Yeah. Going from Oklahoma <laughs> to Wisconsin wide receiver room. That's uh all right. Pretty jarring. Uh, given his, uh, I mean, I know there were a couple games in which he was rather erratic, but given his alleged inconsistent play, anyone want to take a stab at his uh, yards per attempt and touchdown to interception ratio? Uh, I'm going to guess it was like he had like 10 yards per attempt and his touchdown to his interception ratio was like seven to two or something. Uh, it was good on the yards per attempt, uh, 9.1. Uh, touchdowns to interceptions was 21 to four. Oh, wow. That sounds yeah, that's pretty good for a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. I, I know um, Lincoln Riley's offense, uh, you know, helps the quarterbacks numbers quite a bit. Um, but I mean, he, uh, he was also pretty darn productive, especially when you add in the, uh, six rushing touchdowns on like five and a half yards per carry before you remove sacks because college football refuses to calculate things in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah, and as for Lincoln Riley, it's like he could have chosen to transfer to USC. Like to me, that would have made a lot of sense. Um, 
as opposed yeah, to Wisconsin. Um, I just want to add two things real quick. Um, one, uh, I do want to reject the 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 uh, pre um, supposed notion that Wisconsin is definitely going to be the representative of the Big Ten West. I think we have someone coming on the show later that might uh, heavily disagree <laughs> with that. Um, and then also, uh, secondly, um, I I think it's really interesting. Like, if Wisconsin just decides that they're into playing offense now it really might just like that might revolutionize like the big 10 West as a whole, because if Wisconsin starts trying to play offense, they're going to be far and away the best team in that league and, or in that division. And other teams might actually have to start trying to play offense and other than Purdue, of course, which is the only team currently in that trying to play offense, I guess Purdue and Nebraska, Wisconsin radicalizing the big 10 West would be one of the funniest things possible. (laughs) That would be cool. I would love, it would be so cool if there were actual teams in the big 10 West. Like it really would. (laughs) Iowa, Iowa will play offense over Kirk Ferentz's dead body. That's, that's the one thing I know for sure. Yeah. Closer. (laughs) Brian Ferentz is teaching that check down on the bootleg. Oh God. Pretty much 90% of practice. Brian Ferentz's dead (laughs) body. We're in here for the long haul. I forgot. Um, Kirk's probably going to be AD. It'll be hilarious. Does this um, mean that? Um, does this mean that Northwestern has a shot at Graham Mertz? Wow! Could you imagine Graham Mertz? Was like, <laughs> what a horrifying thought! I think everybody just could take that one. Another five-star transfer for them. <laughs> Let's ask Graham Ken Mertz about that would, one later. <laughs> Graham Mertz would vaporize those receivers. They're all so small and like bad. <laughs> his his throws are way too hard for for Northwestern's receivers. Um, but anyway, that's it's it's super interesting and uh, yeah, glad we got all our takes out because that's that's gonna be that's gonna be. I mean, that's gotta be like you know the offseason story of the offseason in the Big Ten West. Has it been confirmed that that's happening? It's it's one of those things where it's like it came out. Um, uh, yeah, I guess we should say it's not one hundred percent going to happen yet. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things where like. Uh, inst- insiders started reporting it like hey this has some legs and then everyone's currently on a run of like getting their crystal balls in and whatnot so that when that type type of thing happens it seemed it's like pretty you know 90 percent certain it's going to happen especially since people tend to not pull the like late switcheroo with a transfer announcement these things tend to be relatively straightforward because people just want to get them over with so you don't have some of the same, like, I just switched some hats around recruiting shenanigans that you do uh, with high schoolers. Uh, but if it doesn't, we still got to talk about it. And that was worth it, I think, for me. Yes, we're, we're starved for football content. We will take a, a hypothetical discussion about Caleb, Caleb Williams revolutionizing the, uh, the Big Ten West. Caleb Houston was a uh, Freudian slip there, Ace. It was. You really do want to talk about basketball. I was about to kick it to you, Alex. Um, I You have... Uh, not some Caleb Houston thoughts. We will get to those uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, but uh, your big mood is regarding kind of how to watch and uh, analyze the game. Yeah, I um, I, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of eye test versus analytics. Although I will say that um, I did have a very big mood on Sunday watching the uh, Wolverines beat indiana in assembly hall by 18 points that was pretty awesome that was Mm -hmm. easily the most fun game of the season and i really enjoyed watching it from the open threes in the first half to you know forcing indiana to into bad shots with good defense it was like okay this is the michigan team we thought we could possibly see this year um part of me had given up on it but it's 
you know, looking like they may have turned a corner a little bit. Um, you know, they have kind of a big opportunity this weekend if they take care of business against Northwestern, um, you know, big opportunity against Michigan State. But yeah, I did want to talk about um, returning to tradition a little bit with the eye test. Um, I know that, you know, advanced statistics and what are commonly called analytics, although I don't really think it's, it should be defined that way. Um, Tempo-free statistics, you know, that, that sort of thing, Kempom, Torvik, so on and so forth. Um, I've been in that world for, you know, quite a few years um, in terms of how I follow college basketball. And, you know, I'll never say that, you know, analytics, quote unquote, are bad. Um, like, for example, I was watching a, a really good Big 12 game between Kansas and Texas Tech last night. Um, Fran Fraschilla, who is the color commentator for that game, he's pretty good at, you know, incorporating the, you know, more advanced tempo-free statistics into the broadcasts. Um, he mentioned, he's like, hey, David McCormick with the offensive rebound. He's literally the best offensive rebounder in the country by um, – you know, rebounding rate as determined by compound.com. And I thought that that was, you know, good context. Um, But I think, you know, as I follow the game a bit more, I kind of want to return to the eye test because watching Michigan over the last week or so, um, you can see things that, you know, show up in the box score in terms of like a strong offensive efficiency or points per possession across the game, but just the comfort at which they're running their offense um, and also the intensity with which they're playing defense and really giving good effort on every possession. Um, that's something that you can't really tell by looking at a Kempom page. And I think, you know, I kind of want to maybe move towards a more impressionistic style of analysis with basketball, where it's like, you know, you, you can see that, you know, a player, say Musa Diabate has this offensive rating and this usage rate. But I want to think about, you know, how Musa's offense, you know, and how his role has changed with him moving into the starting lineup, how he's playing better alongside Dickinson, which involves Dickinson maybe playing a little bit further away from the basket and Diabate, um, you know, in the dunker spot or posting up, trying to get good position to score. Um, you know, that's kind of leveraging Hunter's abilities passer, although Musa's a good passer. That also, you know, and Hunter Dickinson's extremely real three-point range. So right, he's exactly. With this clip, <laughs> yeah, he um he had a contested late clock step back that was almost a three. That's like foot on line against Indiana. And it's like I did not know he had that in his bag. And um, I'm going to tell you needed that our friend Connor from home field apparel. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh yeah, Indiana fans were definitely not mad about the outcome of no, that not game. At all. No, never. Um. Not when it comes to Michigan. And yeah, Michigan owns Indiana basketball, which nice, um, right? yeah, the, they broke a nine game losing streak against Purdue earlier that week. And uh, later that week extended their losing streak uh, to Michigan to nine. Um, Archie Miller's a really bad coach. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to get that spiel out there. Ace, I'm sure you have some thoughts about it um, because while we do like, you know, yeah, looking at a Kempom page or Torvik, which we can talk temp- Kempom versus Both Torvik, of us have been I, deep in the basketball spreadsheet yeah, lines uh, yeah. <laughs> times of our life. but I'm to- I'm Torvik-pilled. Um, Bart follows me on Twitter, so barttorvik.com. That's where you can get your best um, 
advanced stats stuff and bracket projections and scatter plots and all sorts of fun things. But yeah, what are your more feelings ball takes on on Michigan Ace? I mean, I think like to your point, you know, you it is very difficult to measure Diabate's impact from a box score because for both positive and negative, you've got the, um, you know, some plays that aren't converted because his hands aren't great. Um, and certain, certain things about him, you know, for both him and I would say Kobe Bufkin and also Frankie Collins, really the three freshmen who are playing right now, it is hard to, you know, be able to take away like how much potential those guys have from staring at Ken Palm or whatever, because, uh, like that Frankie Collins alley-oop finish where he shows more bounce than any Michigan point guard in decades and gets above the rim to finish a bad pass. Uh, that just shows up as a converted two-pointer in the box score. But when you're watching it, obviously, you get a very different, you know, there's just one two-point shot, but you're looking that, at that going, wow, uh, this is a point guard who can operate the offense in a very different way from past Michigan point guards. And that doesn't necessarily show up from this guy has this usage rate is taking this many two pointers. You, it, it's something you have to see. Um, and that stands out for Diabate that stands out for Caleb Houston, whose two point struggles are definitely tied to his lack of kind of explosive vertical athleticism. So, yeah, I mean, especially when you pair this with kind of the, extremely small sample size that college basketball kind of inherently gives you. Um, I think it's, it's good to kind of, you know, keep those, you know, use those resources, but at the same time uh, you got to watch the games and you got to watch the games closely. And even then it's still not easy to figure out a lot of the time. College basketball is very unpredictable. It is. And like, even trying to parse questions, like is Michigan a good shooting team? Um, Depends on the night. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the night. Like you would say, okay, they have an above average three-point percentage, but they have a below average, you know, rate of shots that are three-pointers. But it's like watching the games and watching the shots that Michigan's able to generate or not able to generate. Um, there's a lot more that goes into that. And I think, yeah, I mean, Houston, um, he had some wide open looks against Indiana. Some of that came from yeah. scheme. Some of that came from good ball movement. Um, I think there is a skill in getting yourself open for, for threes. I think, um, you know, before this year's swoon in the NBA, Duncan Robinson, that that was among his best uh, strengths was getting open. Um, Caleb Houston got open against Indiana. He knocked down five threes, Hunter Dickinson knocked down three threes. Um, you don't expect that every game. But uh, yeah, there have been some ice cold shooting games from this team. Um, and yeah, you know, seeing that they have 35% on the season, that doesn't mean that they can't go one for 14 like they did against Minnesota. And I don't think that, that you can necessarily ascribe that to variance or luck because Michigan played like crap against Minnesota, right? Yeah, there's <laughs> like, a difference. And it went beyond shooting. Yeah, there's a difference between executing offense well to get guys open shots and, yeah, kind of like jogging through a set, having it not work, resetting into like a frantic post entry or late pick and roll. Um, you're going to get better shots if you run stuff well. I think um, Matt D from MGO blog, he, he tweets clips from games and, and he has really good analysis, but he... Um, 
you know, pulled a few plays from the Indiana game where it's like, you draw that up on a chalkboard and it's like, that's going to be really tough to defend. And Michigan, you know, top 20 offensive team, according to these advanced statistics. um, I think there's even more upside to explore there. Yeah, no, if they get the floor in there, um, raise the floor of the offense a little bit, you know, this is a team that, you know, when I was putting together data for the article I posted on Monday, um, I, I'm not going to go through and calculate every other team, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that Michigan has one of the widest splits in three-point percentage between wins and losses because they're shooting 50% in their wins and 12 when they lose uh, from beyond the arc, which is just uh, shocking in both directions. I expect those will start to uh, move a little bit closer to something looking like average, but the, the variance in these games is so dang high. And you don't you don't get that off a of Kempom page uh, or a Torvik page, and I mean, Alex was saying in our when we were chatting leading up to the podcast that like it'd be nice to have some sort of three point variance stat, and it'd certainly be interesting to see it from you know the perspective of how high up Michigan is in the country because it feels like there aren't a lot of teams that have a wider gulf between how they look when they're playing well and how they look when they're not playing well and how like, and given that Michigan is, you know, just starting to creep above 500 recently, like, you know, how often we've seen each of them. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And unfortunately I think I would um, by rule fade teams in my bracket projections that have high three point variants like mm-hmm. Michigan, like, you know, if you need to string together wins, it's not good when you just, can't buy a bucket from outside in like a third of your games, but it's the hopefully... part of the fade Iowa principle that has nothing to do with their defense. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully Michigan turned a corner, but uh, I did kind of want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, looking at these like advanced statistics and still being like, I, I have no idea what to make of this team. Yeah. I think that's uh, especially at this moment right now when Michigan had three straight losses preceding arguably their two best games of the season. Uh, yeah. It's, it's fair to just throw up your hands and go, uh, I have no idea. Um, my big move this week is that I finally am attending a live sporting event coming up and it is Michigan versus Indiana on Monday. Um, that is the women's basketball side of things. And that is quite possibly the game of the year. Michigan has uh what, what will be a rather difficult game at Ohio State, although uh, Michigan blew them out earlier this season. Ohio State is a good team. They got a, a very good shooting backcourt. So speaking of teams with uh, some potential variance, um, getting them on the road before uh, this game where Michigan and Indiana are both uh, top eight teams in the country, I believe. Um, and uh, And that's going to be, Indiana has a very easy game against Illinois uh, in between, but if uh, both teams can get there without suffering a loss in the interim, that will be for first place in the Big Ten and uh, really, uh, uh, you know, taking control of it, considering, uh, especially in Michigan's case, how these teams have played lately. Uh, Indiana is without Mackenzie Holmes, uh, as discussed on last week's bonus podcast, uh, which uh, really, really opens up the Big Ten for the taking because they first of all Mackenzie Holmes was their best player and uh by far most productive interior player but um they are not a very deep team and Michigan now is at full strength for the first time really all season 
the last few games and they're playing like it, they're coming off, uh, you know, a, a very, very strong stretch here uh, since the Minnesota or the Nebraska loss a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, this is a good time for Michigan to catch Indiana. And I'm looking forward to uh, being masked up, showing my uh, COVID card and getting on in to watch some live basketball for the first time in way too long. All right, Connor, we can do it now. We can, we can start discussing the <laughs> roster draft. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, both teams played hard. That's the important <laughs> thing. Um, like to go up against a, a tough opponent, which Dan is. Um, I mean, I don't want to do this. Should we, should we review how this draft went? Uh, who picked who or what do you think? Yes. I, I will go ahead and read off. Um, we will start with Dan's offense versus Connor's defense. And then after we analyze that, we can go do the flip side of the ball. Um, and I, I don't want to hear any snickering coming from Connor while Ace reads this off. Do not allow <laughs> Good <luck>. Connor's general <laughs> Connor's uh, uh, disregard of my team to to color you know the conclusion that uh, the audience is going to come to. So uh, just to review, this was the draft that we did of the roster in the preseason, kind of a hypothetical spring game sort of thing, uh, and. Uh, yeah, let's just say that our our uh, takes on the team in the preseason maybe did not match up with the reality, considering how this went out. But uh, it's it it made for an interesting exercise. Dan's offensive line from left to right is Trevor Keegan, Nolan Rumler, Andrew Vastardis, Chuck Filiaga, and Andrew Stuber. His receiving core is Roman Wilson, AJ Henning, and Ronnie Bell at wide receiver with Eric All at tight end, despite Dan trashing him all throughout the preseason. Hassan Haskins is the running back, and the Italian stallion Dan Valari is Dan's quarterback. Uh, this may come up again. Connor's how, how does it? <laughs> Connor, I don't know how Dan Connor. has a guy who plays. For... <laughs> all right, I'll wait. I'll wait. All right. I think we do need to talk about how Dan wound up with Dan Valarius as QB, which was that Connor <laughs> drafted three other QBs before Dan had a chance to pick. It his. was a conniving move that ended up paying off uh, much better than I yeah, even expected. We'll see at the time. about that. We'll see about that is all I'm going to say. Um, yeah. You, when Dan Valari is starring at Syracuse in a couple of years. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. That what, was going to be look, my Dan question. Dan Valari yeah. did get, Dan Valari <laughs> got a snap. I don't know. <laughs> Dan Valari did get at least one snap in a two point conversion attempt. Um, I think he might've even gotten that snap before JJ McCarthy ever saw the field. So Dan Valari really is going to have 200 yards rushing against Georgia tech at least once. That's a stone cold lock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Connor's defense. Um, the defensive line, including outside linebackers, uh, Jalen Harrell, Julius Welshoff, Jordan Whitley, Chris Hinton, and Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, at linebacker, Junior Colson and generic walk-on. <laughs> at corner, uh, DJ Turner and Javon Green. And at safety, Dax Hill and RJ Moten. Uh, so Connor is kind of forced to align in this 5-2 uh, with a walk-on linebacker. Yeah, and I just want to say, look, Con Connor did make some good moves, um, but ending up with basically the entire starting secondary um, was like DJ turning Turner turning out to be a star was not something anyone saw coming, and RJ Moten turning out to be like the starter for most of the year was also not something anyone saw coming. So 
But you know what? I mean, yeah, look, better lucky than good, I guess. So. I mean, my like totally sober take here is like, you know, I thought Whitley would play more than he did. That wasn't a great pick. Um, I thought Welshoff would have a little more impact than he did. Not a great pick. Hutchinson, I mean, that was the number one pick and the obvious pick. Like, I'm not going to congratulate myself too hard for that. Harrell, I think, is a pretty good pick because I think he's going to be a big force next year. And he made a number of plays despite being behind two of the best defensive players in college football this year. Um, Colson pops. So like my one linebacker, that's not a walk on being really good helps. And yeah, the second is my biggest. <laughs> Hold what? on. Junior Colson. I mean, I'm, I am very optimistic for junior Colson's future. He was not very good. He was year. probably the weakest I mean, starter on the defense. Definitely. Yeah, definitely like, not even close. He definitely was the weakest. Okay. But like defense. he was probably the second best linebacker Michigan had still. I mean, well, that's you, not, I mean, you also neglected to draft a second line. Yeah. He's playing. He was, yeah, yeah, look, but, he was playing next to, on this, on this defense. <laughs> he was playing next to Josh Ross, like a seventh year, like a veteran. And on your defense, he's playing next to a guy without a name. So <laughs> guys, okay, hold on back up here. Michigan hasn't had like a true freshman, like make that much of an impact in a long time. A lot of that's Don Brown's fault. I grant you, but like well, a lot of that is I good think, roster right. management. <laughs> Look, yeah, by the end well, of the year, of. junior, I don't know, but by the end of the year, junior Colson was the second best true freshman on this defense. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm look, I am again, I'm not trashing junior Colson. Cause like he's, I think he's going to be very good, but like, yeah. Okay. Over the course if, if of the year, to talk up, like the good. strength of your defense, I would not mention the, uh, how did the I was just going level. through my defense? I didn't even like, <laughs> I was being nice. I was going to say like Dan Valari transferred to Syracuse. How did, uh, Nolan Rumler's year go, Dan? <laughs> look he's i can I'm, I'm hiding i'm i'm hiding him at left guard for a reason all right the rest of my offensive line i got three of five offensive line starters and the fourth one was a guy that played a lot so i feel okay. pretty good about I'm my offensive saying, line like you had two guys that had to do playing time transfers and that's okay this is all you know benefit oh, okay. of hindsight but but you know I mean you well, can walk on can't gonna... transfer anywhere Connor so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I think That's if I'm Adam Shibley transfers there Dan <laughs> I think if I'm uh, coordinating Connor's defense I'm putting nine guys in the box against an offense with Dan Valari and Hassan Haskins and that might mitigate walk-ons presence in the yeah. second line of the yeah. defense yeah for I think uh, Dax Hill's presence is huge here actually Dax Hill's presence is big I mean even even if we you know hypothetically say that Ronnie Bell is uh, healthy um, there, you know, the strength of Dan's offense is that he got like a solid receiving core and a pretty decent line given the format and Michigan's number one grinded out running back, but there is just not a downfield pra- passing threat to prevent Dax Hill from living in the box and from and for Connor to not have to exit this 5-2. See, I think that I can win some matchups with Eric Gall and Hassan Haskins working against uh, Connor's linebacking core um, or lack thereof. Um, Hassan but, Haskins you know, in the I, passing game is entirely hypothetical. I'll give you that's Eric true. Gall. That's true. That's fair. Eric Gall, I think I could win some matchups. I think that whoever uh, draws Jim on green can win some matchups. And then, look – Here's my offensive strategy. Look, I, 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 all jokes aside, I agree. Connor ended up getting the better of me in this draft. I do think they're like my offensive strategy of my offensive line is very strong. And the, you, if you look at the middle of Connor's defense right now, I know he's running that five, two, 
Jordan Whitley did not play a lot, and he's going to get tired very quickly. I know we're not quite doing fatigue because everyone's only got a starting line, but he, I mean, he, he couldn't stay on the field for more than like a snap or two this year. And then Julius Welshoff, who I think is promising, but was not good against the run this year. And then Chris Hinton's your best interior player. Obviously that's, that's pretty good. But then like up the middle there, you know, you're then the, the people, the people playing behind those guys are again, junior Colson, who I'm promising, but was not good this year and a walk on. So I think I can make hay running the ball, especially considering I've got a good offensive line and Hassan Haskins. I think you guys Eric are going Cole. a little bit, little bit galaxy brain about Colson. Wasn't he a, like a freshman All American? Like, I mean, he was. Oh good. man, don't only... bring up freshman All Americans. That's just yeah, like dude's play. Like... <laughs> yeah, I, I, that is literally I a totally participation trophy. All right. Well, if we're going that far, then I'm going to go ahead and try out my take again, which is that the biggest problem Dan has, as we all know, is that Aiden Hutchinson was the best player in college football. So that's that's Dan's offense's <laughs> that's, biggest issue. <laughs> and unfortunately, I already agreed with that take, so I can't go back on that. Yeah, Dan's in trouble um, there. Yeah, that um, really is like the ultimate deciding factor of yeah. this draft is that Connor got the first pick and then did his quarterback gambit. Yep. Yeah. Really, look, really um, ended up deciding it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, look, this is this this worked out really well for Connor. I think at least on this side of the ball, um, because uh, uh, getting the entire starting um, secondary is uh, a tough uh, was a good roll of the dice um, on Connor's part and is going to make things really tough. Uh, especially considering um, Dan Valari, whom I respect and love, um, but probably is not the best quarterback at this stage in his development. Um, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll concede. But I do want to say that I think I'm running for like five yards per carry. Um, and it's I, I'm, I'm making this a short game. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm taking my shots when they present themselves. Haskins would totally eat. Like, I'm not arguing with that part. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, it's more uh, what happens on the flip side, because this is where we'll talk about uh, – how Connor's hit rate on defensive backs uh, put Dan in a bit of a bind. Uh, also, Connor's gambit, uh, because let's read off his offense. Uh, offensive line from left to right, Ryan Hayes, Trent Jones, uh, Reese Atterbury, Zach Zinter, and Carson Barnhart. Tight end is hypothetical walk-on instead of Luke Schoonmaker for some goddamn reason. Um Cornelius Johnson and Dalen Baldwin are the two sole wide receivers, but um, both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are in the backfield. And that means uh, you have a lot of versatility in terms of how you can line up. Uh, Cade McNamara, JJ McCarthy, and Alan Bowman are all on the roster. So uh, yeah, that's why you don't have a slot receiver or uh, a scholarship tight end or a scholarship linebacker uh, in the second spot. Dan's defense, uh, the line, David Ojabo, Mazzy Smith, Donovan Jeter, and Taylor Upshaw. Linebackers, That's a good defensive line. That That's is a good, good defensive, defensive line. line. Uh, linebackers are Mike Barrett and Josh Ross. Uh, notably, both are extant scholarship players. Uh, cornerback, Vincent Gray and Andre Selden. Nickel. One of those definitely worked out. Nickel Macari Page, <laughs> uh, and the safeties Jordan Morant and Brad Hawkins. Uh, one of those uh, two, two, two secondary players worked out. Uh, but uh, Andre Seldon transferred after never seeing the field in uh, Michigan secondary, even in 2020. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I think we all kind of know that this this offense is passing for a jillion yards on Dan, kind of like 
Uh, to which receivers? <laughs> to, to which? To which? What non- you mean? Honestly, uh, the running Cornelius backs. Johnson <laughs> and Donovan Edwards and Blake. Like Donovan Edwards what? is an all, all I know receiver. is that Mike ba- Mike Barrett is locking down uh, Donovan Edwards in coverage. Um, and <laughs> and uh, and honestly, Blake Corum was not the best receiver out of backfield this year. He's got a lot of potential, but he dropped a lot of balls. So okay, and then you got to walk on tight end. Right. Even even Josh Ross can cover a walk on tight end. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I got Carter fair. Seltzer who did play a lot. Like, we'll assume if I get the best walk did on the catch- no, 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 no. You don't get to choose a walk on <laughs> tight end that's actually good. That's not how that works. Also, oh, okay. Let's not We're not like, oh, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. You don't get like Jordan Glasgow as your walk on linebacker either. <laughs> no, it's, you get an actual bad walk on tight end. Like, one okay, of the can we just talk ones. about how. You drafted three defensive backs who, like, straight up did not see the field this year. We did. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I would say my um, my secondary is rough. Um, and the fact that uh, Connor can throw the ball, um, you know, I mean, even Cornelius Johnson and Dalen Baldwin, uh, not the and, and, and Donovan Edwards, like, they're going to be able to uh, tear up the secondary pretty good. But I would say, though, you know, look, the game is won and lost in the trenches. That's what I've always said. And um, <laughs> you've got you've got David Ojabo is I mean Ryan Hayes was pretty good this year but not great. David Ojabo is eating his lunch. Um, Trent A. Jones recent like you have an entire backup offensive line besides Zach Zinter and Ryan Hayes. So and I have a pretty good like solid starting defensive line and decent linebackers. So you're gonna have to be pretty much an air raid offense with only two wide receivers and then you know a running back. So. I think that this side of the ball is more um, is more balanced, certainly, than uh, if it weren't for my total whiff at secondary. Like, if I had just taken, I don't know, <laughs> who even would be the corner that I... If you traded like, Morant for Moten, you'd be in much better shape. Like, Yeah, or just something like that. I mean, if I had, if I, had um, I guess, uh, oh, God, uh, what's what's the what's the freshman? I'm going to totally draw a blank. Rod, if I'd taken Rod Moore, which there's no way to know yeah. that that was going to happen. That would have so, been tough to anticipate. <laughs> yeah. McBurrows so, would have been a really good pick. Yeah, well, again, look, all the players that I should have picked here, it's like Connor kind of hit on the rolls of the dice in terms of, like, guys that came out of nowhere, like, you know, DJ Turner. Um, so, you know. And Moten to uh, a certain extent. And Moten, no, too. He was gonna, yeah. we, we weren't even sure he was going to start. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, like – the one we both whiffed on that, that I think we should both be embarrassed about, although I'm not embarrassed, like the reasoning was sound. It's a shame nobody has Andrew Anthony, who I think rocks. Like he could have helped my offense a lot, you know. But then again, true freshman, three star, we didn't know that. Um, I agree with Dan that like this side of the ball is closer because I think the, that his front has a major edge. I just think that like, especially when if like with JJ McCarthy, like if JJ McCarthy were the main starter for this offense, he'd be able to elude some of the pressure and get the ball out quickly. And I just don't know what you would do about that. I think you could even move JJ McCarthy to receiver and he would probably do fairly well against the secondary <laughs> given how good of an athlete he is. God. Uh, yeah. The JJ McCarthy package coming in and like, that's, that's, that's it's such a bummer that you took two quarterbacks and we actually used two quarterbacks this year. Like that's, <laughs> that's killer. You really hit on all like, like really, you know, came up looking good here um, yeah connor actually being able to run that that package especially since he also has edwards and quorum that yeah yeah and then, and then I mean, I think... edwards being like the first like freshman five-star running back to ever live up to the hype like unbelievable. i'll be honest <laughs> yeah. as we started going through you know like some of the issues with connor's offensive line and you know not having 
you know, a, to- a very complete passing attack, we'll say, in terms of the weapons at receiver. I was getting ready to galaxy brain myself into, you know, leaning towards Dan. And I just can't get there, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think if a, I didn't have um, Edwards, like if Edwards didn't turn out to be like a very good receiver, uh, in addition to being a good running back, like I think I'd be in much bigger trouble. I think that's kind of what cements it, though. To me, it really comes down to the quarterback. And I don't know if we want to make that move of drafting three quarterbacks. So the other guy has to take the the fourth stringer. Um, I don't know if that should be legal for next year, but credit to Connor for creatively building his roster in a way that just backed Dan into a, a tough spot. Look, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in favor of the rules. Like, I think the the rule where you can basically do whatever you want, but you're you're you don't you your like holes get filled in by walk ons. Like, I think that was a good like mechanic. Um, I think that, and I think there's a world where like if a lot of these picks don't hit for Connor, like we could be having a much different conversation. I think what makes the difference here is that the guys that we knew nothing about, like Connor, almost got all of them. I mean, I got David Ojabo. I'd say that's like the big win on my end, um, which you know could be pretty decisive. Um, in terms of like, you know, getting a good pass rush, but like Connor getting Aiden Hutchinson, which was just the fact that he got the first pick in the draft. And then Aiden Hutchinson turning out to be like, I mean, even better than we thought he was going to be. And then the fact that like DJ Turner, that's a star out of nowhere, you know, RJ Moten star out of nowhere. Um, yeah. You know, he, 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 he made out well with the guys we knew nothing about. Um, so let me ask you this. Who's the best player we didn't draft? I already said Andrew Anthony. I'm sticking with that take, but I don't know what other people think. You know, honestly, Schoonmaker comes to mind. Um, Certainly biggest gap in terms of like what you could have had versus what was there, I think, is Schoonmaker. Yeah, Yeah, Rod Moore, who was briefly mentioned, he was like pretty solid. I think he has a promising future, even though, you know, there was a reason why. They were playing him out there consistently against Ohio State. Yeah, there was a reason why scouting services may have overlooked him, but that dude's a good football player. Yeah. in the secondary and the guy uh, Hill green was a linebacker who got snaps. So he should be, oh, it would have been useful. <laughs> um, um, I, I, I think I'm going to say Mike's Mike Sainer still. Yeah. I was about to say my two guys who I think are being overlooked both in this draft and in general uh, on offense, I would say it's Mike Sainer still. And on defense, uh, take your pick between Chris Jenkins and Mike Morris. Yeah. yeah uh, good point guys. Yeah. Mike Morris especially was big this year. Yeah. Um, I I would say like and I, this is not I don't say this to be snooty at all I think it's actually the truth like it just builds up what Dan said I think the reason that this worked out for me despite making strange choices is I just was very optimistic about a lot of these players and it looked unreasonable at the time and Michigan just got the most out of their players and a lot of young guys popped this year and um, that's cool yeah I mean in terms of major takeaways it was nice that most of these surprises were on the uh pleasant side of things although you would certainly anticipate that given where our expectations were preseason versus how the season actually played out and then real quick i'll say biggest um bust for me definitely was not really necessarily he ended up having a nice year but i think i drafted mike barrett like third overall because i wanted to take all of the linebackers on the team um and i didn't you know it kind of ended up not working out because nakai hill green and junior colson broke out to a certain degree and Barrett didn't um, so really start. He, yeah, Barrett, but Barrett did start by the end of the year and he had a, he made a couple nice plays and um, especially on special teams. So yeah. definitely a big Mike Barrett fan, but not maybe worth the second overall pick. I would say my the big best bust was, 
Oh, sorry. I was going to say the best players who weren't selected really were Jake Moody and Brad Robbins. Ooh, good oh, yeah, that's true. that's true. But we did that's true. I mean, for obvious reasons. My biggest bust, I think, was Whitley, who I thought we were going to need and did not turn out to really need, which was good because he's just not very good. But I think I drafted him pretty high. <laughs> yeah, drafting Whitley when you have two other tackles and uh, only one linebacker and two safeties is a bold <laughs> Old strategy. I was big on the five, the five two guys. I was, I was all in on Mike McDonald from you, early. You on, are lucky that Dan Villari is Dan's quarterback because otherwise, uh, I think the five <laughs> yeah. two versus Dan's receiving core was going to be real rough. Bro, real if rough. I had Alan Bowman, it would be over for you. <laughs> uh, I think Alan, did Alan Bowman had like what, like a. 50 interception like, rate this season. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it would have been he, he's he's comfortable running an air raid system. Um so looking ahead next year, who's who, like if we had to do a way too early draft, who's your first overall pick? Oh, that's a tough one. Um assuming that the guys who are well, I guess we know who's off to the draft at this point. Um it's tough because you don't even know who's gonna start at quarterback. Man. Uh I I mean I I think Ryan Hayes would be up there just to lock up an offensive line, but that'd be more a strategic pick than saying this guy is the best player on the team. Um, DJ Turner might also be in the discussion uh, for similar reasons. Um, Yeah. I think the question of who you would draft first is almost more of like a positional scarcity thing, because you look at the tight ends, like one of you will draft all the other, other will draft Schoonmaker and they'll both be pretty good. Um, Versus, yeah, Hayes, only proven tackle. Um, Mozzie Smith, maybe the only real nose guard. You know, Junior yeah. Colson, he's a guy that you might consider as, like, the the most proven linebacker. Yeah, he's pretty yeah. good, I heard. Um, <laughs> I like I, I think what your guys' – sorry. I think your guys' reasoning is sound, um, like, like, to go for scarcity. But I also think, like, I almost think you just want to go for who you think the best player in the team is going to be. So – for me, I would probably go either J.J. McCarthy, who I do think will probably start. He's the upside pick, unquestionably. Yeah, or, I mean, even though this is a guy who will be splitting time, like, I think Donovan Edwards has a very good chance to put up crazy numbers next year because he'll be he'll be doing a lot of receiving, too. So that's a guy that I – the guy who, like, could be a first-team All-American potentially, that might be my pick. I don't yeah, know. I think, I think I you're think just staring someone... down a split with Edwards and Corum. So, again, like Alex said, like, a lot of this comes down to just, like, positional scarcity. And, I mean – I think as soon as Edwards goes off, then Corb would be the next pick <laughs> or yeah. vice versa, whichever one you guys want. But that's kind of part of the thing is it's tough to even say, like, who's going to be the better of the two next year. Yeah, I think that if um, if I'm uh, if I'm drafting like you put a gun to my head right now, um, I'm going to go with J.J. McCarthy because um, I just think I think he's going to start and I think he's got a chance to be really, really good. And if you the upside there is like. The downside feels like, you know, obviously, I guess he could not start, um, but he played a lot this year. You know, the so downside is he transfers, like a, if we're being real. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I think the upside is like the upside of having like a true like NFL type quarterback is it's kind of like, I mean, think about this as, as an NFL GM, you know, like that's clearly the pick you're making. So I think we have to cut the part where we speak the transfer into being. Uh, I can't. No, even I mean words. we're we're saying what the floor is. <laughs> we're saying what the floor is. That's just. I know, but I'm. You're making me nervous, man. 
Uh, yeah, fair. Well, uh, the floor is check down Cade leading us to consecutive Big Ten championships. That's that's more. Lucky. There you go. All right. Connor won. We're declaring it. Um, we are going to do some ad reads while I also simultaneously send Ben Gorn this Zoom link. Um, we're on top of things today. Uh, I'm on top of things today. I don't know why I'm bringing the rest of you guys into <laughs> my shortcomings. Uh, we are, as always, brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code Bucket Problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Season three of Big New Saturday, the hoops hoops themed edition is underway. Cincinnati dropped on Saturday and is a gorgeous collection of cats on shirts. It's pretty awesome. Uh, next up, dropping this weekend is uh, an earmuff situation for Connor. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be the Gonzaga Bulldogs, uh, a program uh, known only for great basketball and definitely nothing else at all this week. Um, so we're very, very excited for them to drop some Gonzaga gear that uh, Connor, who we have uh, taped his mouth shut at this point, um, he, he might pass on buying it, but he's still fully in support of this uh, great, <laughs> great deal between Homefield and Gonzaga University. So once again, promo code bucket problem to order that Gonzaga gear, 15% off at homefieldapparel.com. We're also brought to you by PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BUCKETPROB to get 100% of your deposit match up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is Bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone else you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We are happy to welcome in uh, noted Northwestern internetsman, uh, writer of Forget the Protocol, and yeah. Uh, it's mostly it, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's it. <laughs> ben Gorin, how you doing? What's up, Ace? It's been a minute. Running yeah, back. It, yeah, I'm happy to have you on to uh, discuss the, uh, the vaunted Wildcats of Northwestern. They are huh. certainly Wildcats of Northwestern. There, there is that. Yeah. Uh, I also, Ben, we had to have you on as an emergency measure now that Northwestern is definitely getting Graham Mertz in the transfer portal. So, mm, Yeah. Gosh, thanks for that. I, I do my best <laughs> to forget that football exists. Like, just like let me live in my own little world where that sport's been done away with. That would be awesome. Uh, until further notice. So you don't agree with us that uh, Northwestern is possibly the greatest challenger to a Caleb Williams-led Wisconsin team? Man, if that's the case, everyone just needs to take their ball and go home. That would be a <laughs> really damning indictment of the rest of the conference. Well, uh, Northwestern basketball is definitely the greatest threat to beating Michigan on Wednesday, January 26th, <laughs> 2022. <laughs> um, you know, Northwestern has been... A rather interesting team this year. They they have road upsets against uh, Maryland, who will pretend is good for the sake of this exercise, mm-hmm. and uh, Michigan State, who is actually good. Right. Uh, and you know, h- hanging around against teams like Wisconsin uh, and Ohio State, and then uh, getting blown the hell out occasionally. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what's. I mean. It seems like this team is certainly improved from where they were last year. I mean, it seems 
other than to other than Nebraska, really the entire bottom end of the, and Maryland, the entire bottom end of the Big Ten has kind of gotten their act together. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, a flawed team, but you know, a dangerous team. Yeah, I think that. I think dangerous is giving them a lot of credit that I probably wouldn't give them. Although maybe Michigan state fans at this point feel differently, but you know, Northwestern's that team that has pieces that are awesome that just don't fit together in any way, shape or form. Like Pete Nance is in my eyes, one of the best players in the conference. I think he's absolutely stellar, but he shoots 40% from three and he's six ten, and he can kind of guard the rim a little bit when there isn't like an actual monster at center. Um, but he's like a weird switchy offense initiating big that requires like really good cutters and spot up shooters of which Northwestern has a grand total of zero. (laughs) And they have two guards who just absolutely love to shoot the basketball. Um, They're not any good at it, but they sure do love to do it. And, you know, on nights where one of those two guys, whether it's boo booey or chase Adige, if they're actually making jump shots, like, yeah, weird stuff can happen. Like Chase Audige, I think went for almost 20 against Michigan state. And when things like that happen, like weird possibilities open up, but in general, it's a team that will beat itself. If you give them the opportunity to. So would you say that Ryan young is a bucket or a problem? Oh, he's a bucket. He's for sure. A bucket. He's a bucket. Like, you know, Mac level center. Like he'd be chewing that conference up if you were at like, you know, Western Michigan, be getting mad buckets. Um, my favorite thing to Tommy, Thomas Kithier ish, kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. In terms of like level of production for sure. Um, <laughs> like he is talented around the basket. He also is no more athletic than I am, which is not an especially nice thing to say about someone. But what he's really, really good at is fouling people, but getting the foul called on the guy who he's fouling, he's awesome at it. It's incredible. Like his go-to move on defense, he can't jump or really move his feet at all, is he'll get bumped into once, he'll throw his head back and kind of look at the official and not get the whistle. And the second time, he'll just throw himself four rows deep into the crowd. And he usually gets the whistle that time. Um <laughs> He's, he's good around the basket. He's a good offensive player. He's miserable defensively. But, yeah, I mean, he made Michigan State look extraordinarily silly. Which is I mean, it's certainly a thing that happened. I don't know how to parse that. It's berserk. I mean, he never looks like he's especially good, but he will get his points. He's averaging 10 a game, and, like, that's kind of underselling how he's been playing in Big Ten play. He's very, very solid offensively, and Northwestern knows how to get him the ball, which a lot of teams can't really say that they know how to feed the post. So, uh, Ben, real quick, I know that you share this opinion of, with me that um, Tom Izzo uh, intentionally lost that game mm-hmm. um, at home against Northwestern because he likes to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that? I think I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not speaking outside <laughs> of a we, – we both agree that that's what happened, right? Yeah, for sure. Like Tom Izzo's favorite thing to do in this world is to talk about how good bad coaches are. Like he, he, he cannot get it. enough of he it. He loves it's, it. <laughs> it's so funny. I remember like at the, the end stage of the Carmody era, like when that he was fully circled the drain at that point, like Northwestern lost probably by like 30 to Michigan state. And Tom Izzo said, he's one of the best offensive coaches in America. And I was like, you're right, Tom. You should keep him around because of that. He immediately got thrown into a trash can. I was like, Oh, okay. But yeah, you see it all the time. It's so bizarre. It's a really weird character uh, quirk of his. Clearly he knows that 
every other team in the Big Ten is going to be better for it as long as Chris Collins stays in Evanston. So, yeah, he's probably just doing his buddy a, a solid. I mean, I was about to ask, yeah, I mean, you have, you know, this um, big name head coach in Chris Collins and, you know, mm-hmm. arguably the greatest coach in program history, considering oh, he took Northwestern to an NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, and you've got an offense right now that is fourth in the country in uh, lowest turnover rate. Is this actually an offense or is it just because the guards don't pass? God, that that is a very weird thing about Northwestern is that they don't turn the ball over. And I don't know if this is like too weirdly stat head-ish. There are tons of possessions that Northwestern has that are functional turnovers. Like I would describe Chase Adij bringing the ball up, not passing and shooting a 19-foot two-pointer with 23 seconds on the shot clock as a turnover, Fair. right? Like it, it does the same thing. It's a long rebound. It's a run out and you do nothing. And that I would just say time. that that's the Mamba mentality. <laughs> that's, that's so true. There's yeah. Chase yeah. Adige having, having that dog Mamba mentality. Dan's on. He's got no that dog this, in him. No one in this game has more of a dog inside of them, has that will to be great more so than Chase Adige. It would be awesome if he were also good at the sport that he plays. Like that would be... <laughs> Very cool, but he really wants it. Um, Which is why he takes thirty percent of the team shots when he's on. The yeah, floor. man, go for it. You know, if, if you want, if you have the soul of a killer, like go after it. Do you think he would be? Field goal percent. Do you think he would be interested in going Greg Paulus mode and becoming the quarterback for the football team? Oh man, oh man, is he built that way? No, because he can't like hang on a rim. He's six four two hundred. I mean that that is pretty prototype right there. Oh yeah, no for sure. But I'm trying to think like, to me, Chase Adige's favorite thing to do, other than take a bad deep two pointer, is to like dunk and hang on the rim and get teed up for it. It happened like four times last year. It's really bizarre. I'm trying to think like what the football version of that is. I guess like he could go around and taunt, but that would require Northwestern to score points. I don't think he's really going to have that opportunity. And the, meanwhile, they're very good at that at basketball, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm, you know, for sure. They do it all the time. Um, they are weirdly good with the ball and Boo Booey leads the conference in assists. I have no explanation for how that's possible. <laughs> like, it makes yeah, no that's, sense. That's, that's not true. That's yeah, not and, true. And yet here we are. Like it's, I don't know. It's because like, He's so intent on shooting that just when he enters the paint, all five people converge to him. But he is good at that, apparently. Um, he should never take a two-pointer. I think he shoots like 25% at the rim. But he's a conference in assists and thus is a good point guard, if you ask me. I so mean, I guess um, I, go ahead. I have a quick question. Um, <clears throat> I feel like uh, I, watched, I watched Northwestern against Purdue um, this weekend, and I thought Northwestern hung in pretty well. Um, except for the fact that they did not have anyone that could guard either of Purdue's bigs, um, is I think Northwestern can, like Michigan is not, you know, obviously a a killer in any way. They are, you know, nine and seven at this point playing better, but, you know, I I think Northwestern can hang with them, um, except for the fact that, again, like Hunter Dickinson, there's nobody, I don't think, uh, Northwestern has anyone, you know, that can guard Hunter Dickinson one-on-one. Yeah. So like, what would your strategy be there? So Northwestern is generally under Chris Collins, exceptional at a couple of things, like to give him his due credit. There are things that he does consistently that he's really good at. One of them is he's a really good game planner. Um, he did take um, Johnny Davis out of the game for most of the first half against Wisconsin before Johnny Davis, like 
figured out who he was and he scored a bunch of points. Um, but he's generally pretty good at at least making it hard on a team's primary option. So I don't doubt that they're going to be ready for to slow um, Dickinson down in some way. And part of the reason why I think that's true is they're generally pretty good at doubling the post. Um, you're just chucking guys. It's kind of always the Collins way to go is once the guy with the ball in the post puts the ball on the deck, there's a double team on him. Uh, um, golly, Anthony Gaines was really, really good at coming over from the weak side and doubling. Uh, he's now gone because even though he was a team captain last year, there wasn't a roster spot for him, which is awesome. <laughs> um, so they're going to be chalking doubles at Dickinson all game. And um, the reason why it doesn't work, the reason why Purdue was able to kind of shrug that off, not only because, you know, Zach Eady is an eldritch monster who's seven foot nine inches, um, but it's also the fact that, you know, they can shoot the hell out of the ball. And Northwestern's primary defensive tactic is to just not guard the three-point arc, which works a lot in this conference. Um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely know- could work against Michigan. I mean, Hunter Dickinson can make great passes out of the double team, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes all of Michigan's threes uh, clang off the rim. Yeah, I, I know there's there's that like advanced stat belief that there's really no such thing as three point defense. Um, Northwestern is the exception that proves that rule wrong, um, or rather, the exception that proves the rule, um, just because they're not interested in running teams off the three point line. And you know, if Michigan makes open threes, yeah, they're going to win, probably win fairly easily. But if they shoot the way that Michigan has shot most of the year, it's going to be Hunter Dickinson swarmed in the post kicking it out to an open player and that clanging off the back of the rim. And then what happens? So that's what Northwestern's going to do. And they're pretty good at doing that. So this is starting to circle back towards, uh, I believe the prediction that you, you wrote in our show mm-hmm. notes, uh, yeah. genuinely believing. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I've talked myself into it successfully that, yeah, I think that Michigan's better than Northwestern. I think, that's kind of obvious, but I kind of think Northwestern is going to win this game just because they're really, really good at beating teams who can't shoot. And also, you know, if they get Hunter Dickinson in any kind of foul trouble, it could get really, really tough for Michigan really quickly. And, you know, if Michigan's outside shots aren't falling and maybe Caleb Houston's turned the corner and everything's fine now, but if those shots aren't falling, all you need is one of your guards to accidentally have a good game whether that's Bowie or Adige, whether Ty Berry snaps out of whatever weird funk he's been in, make just enough jump shots, you can go and win this game. Yeah, and Michigan has had its issues letting opposing scorers get hot with open shots early on in the game. Like, you know, Rutgers doesn't have what I would call a good offense, but (laughs) against Hmm. Michigan, Ron Harper and Geo Baker just got into such a rhythm that, yeah, they can buy in for something like, 45 50 points and yeah michigan you know you put eli brooks against chase audige and you think okay that's a good defender that's a inconsistent at best offensive player but i don't know this definitely could be a game where audige inexplicably goes off for 30 points yeah yeah absolutely um and lord knows if you give chase audige a step he's going to take a mile so (laughs) if you give him open shots early he's going to continue to shoot all game I am a little bit here for the uh, um, Hunter Dickinson foul trouble possibility, just so we can see Ryan Young matching up against Musa Diabate. In, oh man, like, that would rule! Just the most <laughs> different six so ten players that you can have on a basketball court. I, I would. Honest, I'm ready for it. 
honestly, one of the big bummers about this matchup is that both Ryan Young and Hunter Dickinson play because Nance versus Diabate at the five, like that's cool. Yeah, that would be a really fascinating five out game. Yeah, like that would be really, really rad. And, you know, for obvious reasons for Michigan, it's because Hunter Dickinson is better. And for Northwestern, it's Pete Nance just still not strong enough to play the five against real competition. It won't really happen very much. Maybe we'll get a couple minutes of it. Well, he'll develop eventually. Oh, yeah, man. He's got time. You know, he's only, you know, ninth year senior at this point. So he'll figure (laughs) it out. Um, But that would have been so cool. (laughs) But alas, we will instead get Ryan Young, you know, drop stepping and throwing his head back, trying to get foul calls. Which is its own kind of fun. Is it? It's certainly its own kind of thing. I don't know if you're if you're watching college basketball, like if you're watching Big Ten basketball consistently on weeknights, you gotta appreciate the the Ryan Youngs of the world because he's, it's like he is top thirty five in the country at fouls drawn per forty minutes. He draws right, six point four fouls. He's very good at it. It's ridiculous. His free throw and rates over look, 50. not a, not everyone can be like. There's a lot of player. There's a lot. There's a lot of roster spots in the country. Um, there's like 300 teams in basketball. Not every one of those players can be good at actual basketball. And figuring mm-hmm. out how to be good at something else is important. And I'm I'm 100 serious about that. I, that is not a joke at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can't if you can't be good, at least be entertaining. And I, I mean, I don't know that I would say or, that Northwestern is necessarily entertaining, but, but they play fast. <laughs> Yeah, they... or uh, or just be big like Kofi Coburn. You know, you don't. Not everyone can be good. <laughs> yes, Dan, get them. <laughs> that is here for the Illinois slander. At all. And while we're recording, Kofi's out again, which has me worried that he's not going to be there for the Mich- the Northwestern game next week, or rather this weekend. I, I yeah, and, and, and look, play. and Illinois is up uh, up uh, eight against uh, a top ten Michigan State team. It's almost like they're much better with him off the floor. I'll take my Bossman question for Dong playing again. <laughs> he's good. He's awesome. Yeah. yeah, he's king of the Dutchman. So true. I mean, really, the reason why Illinois is winning right now is because Cabello is hurt, who is also bad. It's such a weird conference. It I don't like it very much. much. <laughs> um, we should mention here, since you might have uh, balked at the way that Ben discussed needing Kofi Coburn to come back, that uh, um, Ben made that uh, Northwestern will defeat Michigan prediction against his own self-interest, I would say. Um, you're still a Northwestern accelerationist right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's listening to this who, you know, before the 2021 Michigan football season was like, really, it would be better if Michigan lost 10 games, like for as sick as, you know, that like thought process is you're not near where I am with Northwestern basketball. Like I've been here for five years, desperate for them to get rid of their coach. And it's almost my time. I'm not there yeah. yet. But I mean, we're, Chris Collins isn't just a bad basketball coach. He is a very different kind of bucket problem, which makes him a reprehensible human being. Yeah, I mean, he sucks. <laughs> like, if if anyone has the time to like read into what he did to Johnny Vassar, Kevin Trahan once upon a time, uh, who's now like a lawyer, like making the world a better place, yes. um, is he wrote a very good piece about all the weird things that Northwestern did to try and get Johnny Vassar off of scholarship. Um, the weird, if I remember it right, like that that scholarship that they were kind of offering around that again was Vassar's. I'm pretty sure Charlie Moore was going to get it, or at least like they wanted Charlie Moore to have it. And Charlie Moore is still playing. (laughs) Oh man. 
was like him and Kipper Nichols, and Kipper Nichols is so Kipper far gone. Nichols. Yeah, like that weird guy for Illinois who I thought was sick. He um, had won a great game against Michigan, so I'll yeah. never forget him. He was dirty. And yeah, like Northwestern wanted Charlie Moore at like every step of his transfer journey, all five of them. But yeah, I mean, Colin sucks. Like he's, he's not a good coach. He's kind of icky. There's obviously the weird stuff he did with Vassar. Um, and he's, uh, he's just, he's not a good coach. That's, that's the, the, it's not the worst thing, but it's the thing that I think people have finally come around to is that the team just can't build a team. Right. And you're kind of, you're so far down the rabbit hole with him. where like, you know, what the hell is the point? You know, like Northwestern makes the tournament in 2016 and does nothing with it. Just goes straight backwards. And yet, um, we don't really know what the buyout situation is because Northwestern's a private school, but there's something like a 10 year extension after we made the tournament. Oops. <laughs> Ooh, that's just brutal. <laughs> so he's just here until, you know, someone ponies up the money to get rid of him. But yeah, not, not an especially fun programmer man to, to root for these days. No. Um, all right. So we've got a Northwestern prediction from Ben. I think, Alex, do you, what's your take on how this game's going to play out? Because I'd like to hear the, uh, the side that watched Michigan rain in three-pointers the last couple games. <laughs> yeah, I actually um, posted in a group chat with some of my friends uh, before the um, Michigan-Indiana game that Northwestern actually had <clears throat> a better tournament resume than Michigan at that time, given oh. their respective records in Michigan uh, State's um, that's a really good win on the road for Northwestern, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't know. I, my first question with any opponent is can they guard Hunter Dickinson? And I think the answer to this one is absolutely not. So um, it's a pretty good starting point for Michigan. And, you know, I, Michigan is playing better. Like I don't think that Northwestern is going to be able to get a lot of good shots against Michigan. Like say some of those teams back in December did, um, just because Michigan's playing better defense now. And yeah, since they're at home, um, I did check the points bet line was eight points. Um, I think I'll take Michigan to cover eight. Okay. Not only a Michigan wins, but a, a Michigan covers. Uh, I like that. I'm all on the hype train now. Like that, that, that would also be a, uh, Ken Palm and Torvik cover. So, uh, yeah, we are totally memory holding the like UCF game. Um, the uh, Rutgers game, the, the Minnesota who, game, where? uh, None of those games happen. So no. Michigan's actually a final four contender and uh, Northwestern at home, frankly, is one of the easier games that you'll get in this conference. Um, Michigan. Some people think that they lost one of those against Minnesota that that didn't actually happen. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, go blue. Yeah, I mean, for Michigan's tournament chances, this is a uh, which are very much alive right now and really is kind of. Like if Michigan just kind of does what they're supposed to do with the rest of their schedule right now, um, they're probably a bubble in team, although closer than you'd want. Uh, but that does make it so these games where you've got a 75, 80% win probability, you, you have to lock those down. Um, otherwise, you are putting yourself in a situation where you have to really rack up the quality wins in a way that may not be possible. So a surprisingly big game for uh, a Wednesday, uh, six thirty local <laughs> tip off. Um, but uh, considering where Michigan's at, and also that Northwestern uh, isn't long removed from an upset of a, a pretty darn good team in Michigan State, 
Um, this should be quite an interesting game, especially if uh, Ryan Young gets Hunter Dickinson into early foul trouble. And we are all furious while watching uh, an absolutely trash basketball game ensue. Uh, but, you know, we're sickos for this, so we'll watch regardless. There's going uh, to be one charge called on Hunter Dickinson in this game that you guys are going to break something. Between the group of you, someone is going to break something over it. Just let me know when it is. I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, very quickly, I, I mean, we've run almost 90 minutes. I think we've discussed enough of the Benz team right now and their turnaround. They also got Michigan State this weekend. Alex, I can hear you getting ready to say something, so so fire off, man. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, again, like Dan alluded to, Michigan State's actually playing Illinois right now, so that game will be important. Um, Michigan State looked like a Final Four team against Wisconsin this weekend, so that makes me a little nervous, but they also are the team that lost to Northwestern at home, so um, you know, I think there's some spots where Michigan State has an advantage, namely, um, you know, at the three and the four. Uh, I think Michigan <clears throat> strength on strength with Dickinson and Bingham, but Bingham is much, much lighter than Hunter Dickinson. Uh, I was going to say strength on strength might not be the way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> strength on like surprisingly good rim protection yeah, for being. <laughs> yeah, strength on length. I like that. Um, the key matchup in that game is uh, Tom Izzo versus playing his best center. Um, and you'll be surprised which way that usually goes. Um, I mean, you know, given the Tom Izzo's history, uh, totally shocking. Yeah, and Michigan State's backcourt, I don't think, is like especially great, but their point guard play is much more competent than it was last year. And well, when it's um, when it's not AJ Hogard, who's just legit bad, <laughs> that dude turns it over so much. <laughs> yeah, he actually looked okay against Wisconsin, but I, yeah, I mean, he's not good. Um, like Dan said earlier. Uh, a lot of these guys aren't very good. Michigan State um, a lot of times basketball. ends up playing itself. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so we'll see. Michigan just hopefully has like a baseline level of play that keeps them in it while uh, hoping that Michigan State shoots themselves in the foot. That seems like a, a pretty plausible way to victory. Otherwise, uh might be tough to get one in, in Breslin and hopefully they reschedule the one in Chrysler. Yeah, I think, you know, obvious um, – prediction is that Michigan State wins, but I think if Michigan executes well on both ends of the floor, I wouldn't be surprised to see an upset. I am going to tear through a very short women's basketball update because, again, hour and a half long podcast. Uh, Michigan got uh, dominant performances from both Nas Hillman and Leah Brown against Purdue. The team is now up to their highest ranking ever, which is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, before Indiana, they've got that tough matchup as Ohio, at Ohio State, as I mentioned earlier. I would say the two big developments, um, other than uh, other other than um, Hillman and Leah Brown, was uh, Amy Dilk really showing off. Um, she she had a, like her not necessarily a huge statistical game, but she's working her way more into the rotation, playing more. Had a really nice Euro step layup finish in this game, uh, and just giving Michigan an off the dribble threat that um, they don't always have with, you know, Daniel Roush is not as likely to attack the rim. And that's been the main player who's replaced Amy Tilk. Um, Cause it seems like, you know, Layla Felia is still very much staying in the rotation with Amy Dilk in there. So it's more Michelle Cedor dropping out and uh, Roush and the, to a much lesser extent, Maddie Nolan um, having a few minutes carved out. 
Um, I also wanted to mention that Emily Kaiser has been the third scorer often that Michigan has been looking for, and she dropped 12, 12, and seven against Purdue. So she has continued to be a really ideal front court pairing with, with Nas Hillman. And uh, I mean, both her passing and uh, finishing in this game were excellent. And she has really turned up the rebounding this year, which has freed up Hillman. I mean, a lot of times she's at the top of Michigan's press. Uh, Michigan likes to really hard hedge against opponents on screens and Hillman is really excellent at that. So with Kaiser being a a shot blocking presence down low and a rebounding presence like she is, that has uh, really been useful for this team. And Purdue was one of her best games of the year. Ben, how's, uh, how's Northwestern looking? Ben left. Ben would like to say that Veronica Burton is better than Nas Hillman. Which is I was talking true. and I was on mute. Veronica Burton is better than Nas Hillman because she's also the best player in the country, uh, which is cool. It'd be nice if Northwestern had like two players. That'd be nice. But <laughs> uh, Veronica Burton's dirty with it. So it's all good. She, she's a, she, she is uh, um, horribly overlooked nationally. She's so good, man. I'm yeah. like, it's so frustrating. Like she's the best defensive player in the country and also now like a very, very good offensive player and just is missing from every national list. It's infuriating. Yes. Um, she will be in the WNBA for a long time. Uh, That's correct. All right. Um, thank you so much to Ben for joining the podcast this week. And thank you to my co-hosts, Alex, Dan, and Connor for, uh, um, doing what they always do. And, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Bucket Problem. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the bonus podcast. Rate us, review us, uh, subscribe, set the podcast to download on uh, whatever podcast app you use. I believe Spotify now does uh, reviews. So, um, yeah, throw up a good word on there. Uh, use the promo code Bucket Problem at homefieldapparel.com and the promo code Bucket Prob on points bet. Thanks for listening and have a great week.